Good morning. Great to have you here at First Baptist this morning. If you would, take out your outline. We would appreciate it if you'd like to study along with us. Uh, You can see that there is a lot to cover today because there's a lot to talk about in this process of becoming more like Jesus, what we call discipleship. This is the second message in kind of these three parts on discipleship. And uh, you'll see up here on the screen, or it's at the top box in your outline, the definition that we defined last week, which was discipleship is a process of becoming more like Jesus. Uh, Becoming like Jesus. He is our example. Obviously, he is the Son of God. Now, notice I never said it's the process of becoming a God, right? I didn't say that, or, or being a God. Uh, you'll never be God. Some of you might think you are, or God's gift to women, or something like that, but, but you're not. I'm not. We, know, we are not. We are becoming like God. We are becoming like God. That's what it means to be godly. God wants to develop his character and his character in you, and that is displayed by his son, Jesus. And so we want to know the way that Jesus thinks. We want to know how Jesus acted. We want to know how he felt. We want to know his values. We want to know his character because God wants you to be like Jesus. That's the godly model. That is the process of discipleship. Say it with me. Discipleship. Discipleship. That's the process of becoming more like Jesus. You also see that we ask you to take your own responsibility in that. It's not the role of your pastor. It's not the role of your pastoral staff. It's not the role of anybody else. Not the role of your mom or your dad. It's, it, it's your role to take that step and to step up and become more like Jesus. We will do all that we can to help you do that. We are always here for that. But ultimately, you have to take that step. And so the verse that I want to draw your attention to, again, is up here on the screen. It's Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. You can look in your Bibles or let me read it to you here. It says, why are we doing discipleship? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes now get this rather speaking the truth in love we are to now what's the next two words there we are to what we are to grow up grow up Not just in one way, not just in a couple of ways, but in every way into him who is the head, that is to grow up into Christ, to become more like Jesus. Now, what does that mean to grow up in every way? Well, let me kind of compare it to this to describe it as this. Babies are cute, aren't they? I mean, babies are cute, they're cuddly, and and, and they're soft, and they're cute, and all that kind of stuff. But if you stay a baby, that's not a good thing. In fact, wouldn't it be something to see my face on a baby's body, right? Right? Or Pastor Scott's face, like, like, I mean, that's just not right, huh? Or our Spanish pastor, Pastor Pablo, whoa, that's a mean-looking dude right there with his little glasses on. Yeah, you would not expect... Um, a, a grown person to have a baby's body. You, some of you may be growing intellectually, but you're not growing as you do things. Some of you may be doing and serving a lot, but you're not growing intellectually. You want to have your head, met your body, every way. And you want to develop your muscles. You want to develop your muscles of serving. You want to develop your heart. Every way Jesus asked us, grow up. Paul emphasizes that there in Ephesians. Grow up in every way. In fact, wouldn't it be kind of uh, hilarious, or maybe tragic is more like what it would be, 
If we had a mirror here, and that mirror revealed to you what your spiritual age was, and you would walk by that mirror, and you would stand in front of it, and you could see, wow, okay, they're, they're, growing, they're, they're about in their teenage years spiritually. Or, or no, they're about in their young adult years, or maybe mature adult years. Or unfortunately, maybe many of us would look into that mirror and see a baby's body. And spiritually, maybe we have not grown much at all. It'd be pretty revealing, wouldn't it? And you probably know where you're at in that. It's a process, though, so let me encourage you in that. It is a process. It's not zap, you're like Jesus, and that's in and done. Now, salvation is like that, where you receive Christ into your life. You are saved, you are sealed, you are a part of his family, you are born again, Scripture talks about. But then, after you're born again, it's a process of growing like Jesus. And discipleship is that lifelong process. So the question gets asked, how do we act, think, feel and respond the way that Jesus would. How does God make us like his son Jesus? Well, there's a number of ways, and we've talked about a number of them. Let me just kind of summarize a couple of them. Of course, the Bible, God's word, is one of those ways as we read that that we become more like what we're reading. We become more like Jesus. We become more like his spirit that is revealing the words on this page and how we are to react and respond and to take those in and to live those out. What I believe is that the spirit of God uses the word of God to make us more like the son of God. That's what God does when his word is opened up before us and we read. Another way in that is, is to memorize if some of you were here for a Not A Fan series last fall, you'll know that we memorized a whole passage, especially those of you who got into those small groups. You, remember, you memorize seven different verses in a passage. We'll do that again this year as we head into the Storm series coming up here in a, about a month uh, uh, out of Philippians. Pastor Mike is going to take us through that in the small groups. But we all want to memorize God's Word so that we can recall. Pastor Scott talked about children and kids in the Iwana program who are doing that. We as adults need to be doing that as well. What's another way that God grows us? I think he grows us through other people in our lives. Um, people who kind of come alongside us, who encourage us, who, 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 who pray for us as we pray for them. That is a part of fellowship, which is the last value that we're going to talk about. We'll also be getting into, into that value as we talk about getting into small groups and community groups for the fall time. Now, those are some very intentional ways that I think God grows us and shapes us to be more like his son to go through discipleship. However, I think God also uses some ways that we might think are very unintentional, some unintentional disciplines that he uses that you may not have ever even expected that he used. Situations in your life that cause you to grow more like Jesus. Now, where am I pulling out from? You'll see the next verse out of Romans 8, 28. Look at what it says. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, does that say many things work together for good? Does that say some things work together for good? What's it saying? All things. Do all things include negative things that happen to us? Yeah, that's a, that's a part of all, isn't it? Do all things include uh, painful things that happen to us? Yes, all things include that. Do all things include mistakes that we make in life? Yes, 
All things include all things. That's why he said all things. Now, notice, please hear me on this. This is not a teaching on Romans 8, 28, but I'd love to do that sometime with you. But notice this. It doesn't say that all things are good. Okay? There are many bad things that happen and many bad things that happen to us. Many bad things that happen that maybe we have caused and invited to our lives. Many bad things may happen just because we live life and they happen. So there are bad things that happen. God's not saying that all those are good. He is just saying that good things can come out of those types of things that make us more like his son. But they don't happen automatically. They happen when we recognize it and we see, okay, God, I have a choice to make here. This thing has happened to me. Either I brought it upon myself or it has just happened as a result of life. Am I going to become bitter in the midst of it? Or am I going to become better and have you make me better like your son? Okay, those are some situations that we're going to talk about here today. And I know many of you are going through them right now. And so today you have a choice to make. Let's listen. Let's just put all the other things aside and say, God, would you speak to me? Because even if you're not going through those yet, you will go through those very soon. And probably even this week, you'll be entering into some of those. So let's look at that. Um, You have your outline. I wrote it down as three unexpected tools that God uses. And the first one is this. God uses trials to teach us to trust him. God uses trials that teach us to trust him. Now, what is our goal in life? Our goal is to become more like Jesus. And so we have to see how Jesus handled some of these trials in his own life. And so if you would open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. And again, if you don't have your Bibles here, some of you probably have them on your phones. Um, But if you don't have a Bible, you're certainly welcome to pick one up at the Next Step Center. Bring that back um, as you use that every week. Get into it throughout the week. Read it. Open it up. See what God is saying to you. That's how he grows us. But Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Jesus is in a time of trouble. He knows the cross is coming. In verse 32, it says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly... Now, what's the next word there? Greatly what? And the Son of God was distressed and troubled. I thought he was God. He wasn't supposed to go through all that. Yes, he is God, but in his human form, he was everything that we are. In the midst of his humanity, he was distressed. He was troubled. He he went through trials. And yet in the trials, he was to trust his heavenly father. Look what it says there in verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet... Not what I will, but what you will. All right, let me give you a couple of thoughts on this because our model again is Jesus, seeing how Jesus went through these situations, seeing what he did. Couple things. It is okay for whatever you are going through, it is okay for you to say, God, I don't like this. It's okay. He knows it anyway. You can be honest with him. When I was a child, I did not like to get spanked. There was nothing I liked about getting spanked. But I, thank God, I was spanked and disciplined as a child. 
When I was an athlete in, in high school and playing different sports, I, there was nothing I liked about wind sprints that we did after football practice. Up and back, up and back, uh, after basketball practice. Up and back, up and back. Uh, I didn't like them, didn't like them at all. But I was thankful when game day came that I had coaches that made me do that, prepare me for that. There was nothing I liked about it. It's okay to say I don't like this. However, just know that your trouble turns to trust a lot quicker when you know your purpose in the midst of what you're going through. When you know why you are going through it. Jesus knew while he was here on this earth. He knew that he was here to seek and save the lost. He knew that the cross awaited for him. He still even though asked the Father, Father, is there another way? But if not, it's okay. I know my purpose. And my purpose is to follow you and to follow your will. And so I will enter into this as you want me to. It's okay to say, I don't like this. I don't necessarily want to go through this. But remember your purpose in the midst of it. The trials and the troubles and some of the things that you are going through right now have a purpose in them. You might not like that, but they have a purpose in them. In fact, look at the verse out of Romans 5, 3 and 4. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that is not a verse that you memorize very often, is it? That's not a verse that you like send on a birthday card or, you know, just like a happy marriage. We rejoice in our sufferings. Get ready. You know, okay, right? We rejoice, though it says, Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces a hope. That character is what God is after. The troubles or the trials are not designed to hurt us. They're designed to help us. We may not like the process that we go through, but the process is really not the end result. The end result is the goal, and that is of being more like Jesus when we get on the other side. Many of you know this example I'm going to share. You've heard about it, but let me share it again for those of you who maybe don't, or just remind you for those of you who have heard this before. A butterfly is not just a butterfly instantly born that way. Butterfly is one time a caterpillar. It spins a cocoon around itself. Very, very, some would say ugly little caterpillar. Turns green to brown, dies, and then becomes this butterfly. When this butterfly, you see the butterfly flying around, that butterfly, you know what it needed to go through? That whole metamorphosis, but even at the very end, as it's breaking out of its cocoon, scientists have discovered that's a part of the process they go through because they have gone in there, and when a butterfly starts to break out, they've actually actually kind of broken the, cat- the cocoon away from the caterpillar and let it try and fly. A butterfly cannot fly at that point. It needs to go through the breaking out process on its own to strengthen its wings so that it can fly. You are going through processes right now that are strengthening you. Paul says rejoice in the midst of those. You're developing your perseverance. You're developing your character. You're developing the hope. You're getting a hope that you can have in the midst of a dark, dark world. The trials and troubles you go through help develop your character. And if you're ever to be more like Jesus, if you're ever to be like Jesus, you've got to learn to trust Jesus completely in the midst of those. Because the honest proof of this is that God is way more interested in your character than he is in your comforts. Yeah, I didn't think I'd get an amen out of that one, but let me try that again, just in case you want to, like, you know, say, hmm, he's right about that, right? God is way more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say amen, Pastor, but okay, I'll say it. All right, all right. I don't believe it yet, but I want to. God's goal in life is not your comfort. It's your character. That's what he's building in us. That's why, you know, you look at this in the athletic fields, the disciplines that you go through, the running, the swimming, the weightlifting. You go through it in the musical fields, the practice that you go through, the academic field of discipline and discipline study. All those things build character. Let me say it another way. God is more interested in your character than he is in your career. Now, some of you might say, I'm not so sure about that. Doesn't God have kind of this will, this God's will that I'm supposed to follow in some type of career? I don't believe so. I believe there's a lot of different areas that you could get involved with and serve God uh, or, or serve as a career, but also serve God in the midst of that career. I don't believe that there's just one thing that God planned you for. You know, it's kind of this, is God's will this or is God's will that? Um, you know what? Your career doesn't last, but your character does. And so in the midst of your career, God is developing your character. In the midst of your work that you're involved in, God is developing your character in the midst of that. In fact, for some of you who may even be out of work right now, he's probably uh, preparing you and developing you in the midst of that if you allow him to. Let me read to you an email that I received from someone a few months ago. He had lost his job. Um, In fact, he had been out of work for five months But in the process of that, came to realize that God was really more interested in him and how he was shaping him and making him. Let me me just read a part of his email that he wrote to me. He said, I've been praying for the last five months that God would bless me with a job that fills my needs. But more recently, I have wanted him to put me into a place where I could glorify him. Now, very interesting how he came to that conclusion. He he has a wife. He He has some children. But in the midst of this says, okay, God, maybe this is not about me and just where I'm going to go. Maybe it's about you shaping me and forming me and make me more into your son. And that not is not always just in reading and praying and focusing here, but it's in life situations if we point them back to God. And if we say, God, are you in the midst of this? Where are you taking me in this? And so let me give you just a couple of practical thoughts. In fact, after each point, I got a box down there at the bottom. Some very practical things that I hope that you might put into practice that will help you as you are shaped to be more like Jesus. And the first one is this. Keep a spiritual journal. As you are going through some things in your life, keep a spiritual journal. Now, that's not a diary, okay? Diaries record events and that type of thing. Dear diary. No, that's not what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about a a spiritual journal that records like lessons and insights that you have learned. And they remind you when you go through them again, God was faithful this time. He's going to be faithful again. He was faithful last time. He will be faithful again. And you can see the process that you're in. You can see the progress even that you have made when you write those kinds of things down and refer back to them. Let me give you one other very practical step, and that would be to remember the rewards. In the midst of what you are going through, remember the rewards, because look at what it says in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God's desire isn't that you would just be so happy here on earth and everything is just peachy keen feeling good. He is preparing you even here on earth for eternity. He is preparing, as Paul says here, that this this momentary affliction, yeah, it doesn't feel very momentary now. 
momentary, Paul says. It's momentary when you look at the big picture. And it's preparing you for the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison that we will step into someday. And maybe this feels like the cocoon that we are in. Maybe you feel like you are struggling to break through with it. That's okay. God's saying, I'm allowing you to go through these things so that you will trust me more and become like my son, Jesus. Second, second way I think, and it may be surprising again to us, that I think God shapes us and this value of discipleship comes about is that God uses temptation to teach us to obey him. He uses the temptations that we go through that teach us to obey him. Now, please hear me on this because this is very important. Um, By definition, let's talk about this. Temptations are situations designed by Satan and they're intended to harm us. Let me say that again. A temptation is a situation that's designed by Satan that is intended to to harm us. God never tempts us to do evil. The Bible's very clear about that. We're not tempted by God. However, God in his infinite wisdom is able to use the temptations that we go through because those temptations we go through provide us with a choice. And that choice that we choose shows us who we are more like. Those choices that we choose show us where we need to grow in our lives. Those choices are needed to develop character in our lives. Again, let's go back and look at Jesus. Jesus faced temptations. In fact, in, uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, if you would. First book of the uh, New Testament, first gospel, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, after he was baptized, he began his public ministry. He went into the desert, and for 40 days he was tempted. It says, Matthew 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, tempted by the devil. So God allowed him to be tempted. God did not do the tempting, but he allowed Jesus to be tempted. Now, a couple thoughts about that. Let's get very practical, okay? We're looking at the life of Jesus because that's who we need to be like. A couple things to remember about temptation. It is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted, but he never sinned. We all are tempted as well. Every one of us. I think it was Martin Luther, though, who said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Okay? So when you're tempted, you don't have to let them just kind of roost there. But we all are going to be tempted. That's not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to it, but not just to be tempted. second thing to recall off of this is that everyone is tempted in the same ways. Now, you might say, well, men and women were tempted in different ways. Yes, that's not specifically what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that all of humankind goes through temptation. We all experience one of Satan's biggest tricks is to get us in isolation and feel like we're the only one going through what we are going through right now. I'm the only human being who has ever done this in my life. No, you're not. The temptations are there for That would be like thinking that your kids invented sticking beans up their nose, right? That, that, that temptation of doing that. No, we've all gone through that temptation. A little bean go well up there. When you're t- okay, that's a dumb illustration, but you get my point, right? Okay? 
everybody goes through some type of temptation. It's all before us. We are tempted with something. Satan brings those things up to us. But, but, God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So God will allow us a way out in the midst of that. But all those temptations, it said, are common to man. We all go through those common to mankind. Now, third thing to remember in the midst of this is that, um, unfortunately, we never outgrow going through temptation. You will never become some spiritual giant that says, I will never experience temptations ever again. Just doesn't happen. I mean, Jesus went through temptations until the day he died on the cross. He was tempted to come down off the cross. He was shouting, you can, can, can bring out thousands of legions and, and, and they, can, they can save you right now. And Jesus says, no, I know my purpose. I am here on the cross. I will stay on the cross. I will not give in to that temptation. Jesus was, he is spiritually a giant as much as anybody could be, but he modeled the right choices. We always will go through temptation until the day we die. But in every temptation, we have the opportunity to make the right choice, which then builds our character, which makes us more like Jesus. Okay? In fact, go on with the story there in Matthew 4. See what he did in verse 10. Says, then Jesus said to him, that is to Satan, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Only him to obey. That he's the only one that you're supposed to obey. Now here's the point. Temptation always tests whether you love God more than that temptation. That's what it's testing. So when you're tempted with money, you have a choice to make. Do I love money more or do I love God more? That's how God uses temptations. He allows those choices to come into our lives and it shows us what we value more. Uh, Maybe it's a wrong relationship that you might be involved in. Do I love being in this relationship more than I love God? Or am I willing to follow his word where I know I should not be? Do I love my comfort? Maybe even here in America, we love our comfort and our leisure. And we're not out there on the front lines enough. We're not persecuted enough in our faith. Do I love just kind of being comfortable more than I love God? Do I love my reputation more than I love God? So I'll hide my faith in Jesus because people at work think I'm this way. What, what, which way is that? Those, those temptations to do things against God's word bring about choices. In the midst of those choices, God shapes us and develops us and makes us into who he wants us to be. Now, we can fail some of those, and we're going to fail some of those. Every one of us is going to fail some of those, but it's at those places where you step back up. You say, God, would you help me today to do the things that you want me to do? And God can use that. Now, we don't walk into those so that he will use that because he will use even more your ability to overcome those temptations. But God can use all things. And so let me, again, give you some practical steps at the bottom of that point that God uses temptations to allow us to obey, to obey him. And a couple things to remember in the midst of that is, first, keep focus on good thoughts. Keep focus on good thoughts that come into your life Paul emphasizes whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, that's what I want you thinking on. Think about the good things. Think about the good thoughts because temptation always starts with getting your attention. And whatever gets your attention gets you. So don't even give it your attention. Don't even stay around and say, well, you know what? It's kind of fun to be tempted a little bit here. No, don't get involved. Get out and get away. You don't beat temptation by just resisting it because when you're resisting it, you're thinking about it. You need to get up and get away. Satan always wins that tug of war. Do not pick up that rope and say, I'll just battle with him a little bit. I got the mighty force on my back and I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. No, drop the rope and do something else. Give it to God to say, God, this is much too big for me. And God will tell you, then get out of that situation. Do not stay in the midst of that situation. Do not play tug of war. Do not think, well, I'll just play a little bit. And you know what? I'll drop it and watch Satan kind of fall and flee and help. More times than not, you are going to be the one who goes down. It's like a remote control. You click a different station, you get away, you do something, up, do something else, you get up and you flee, you run, don't hang out. That temptation will go away when you go away. Don't hang out in that situation. A second practical step I want to give you, though, is that it will help you so much to remember to get a spiritual partner. To get a spiritual partner. Sure, husbands and wives, that might be you to help one another. But in many ways, guys, you go through different temptations than the females go through. Females, you go through different temptations than the males do. And so you need to have someone of the same sex who's also helping you and praying for you, coming alongside you. How do you do that? Well, that's one of the big reasons that we like to have fellowship around here. We'll talk about that value upcoming here in a couple of weeks. One of the big reasons we ask you, get into community groups. And I realize even in the midst of those community groups that that's probably a little bit too big of a place to be able to share all those kind of feelings and thoughts and temptations. Well, in the midst of a small group, it gives you an opportunity to develop friendships with different people and maybe to focus on one or two that you go to another step. You ask them to come and pray for you. Ask them to come around you as I'm sure they also need that as well in their life. So I encourage you, get that spiritual partner in place. All right, let me review just a second before we go on to the last point. One of God's purposes in our lives is that we will become more like his son, Jesus Christ. That process is called discipleship. He wants to build character in us. He wants to reward that in eternity as he prepares us for eternity. And so we've seen where trials or troubles help us to, or they teach us to trust God. We've also seen where temptations in our lives can God use those to help us obey him in our lives. Let's go to the last one, and that's this. God also uses trespasses to teach us to forgive others. God uses trespasses to teach us to forgive. Now, what is a trespass? Let me kind of answer that by tying this all together. If, if the trials or the troubles are situations that are designed by God to draw us closer to him, and temptations are situations that Satan uses to draw us away from God, then I'm going to say that trespasses are situations that are designed by others to hurt us. 
It's sin. It's junk and stuff that happens in our lives that we don't like have happened to us or we don't like doing it, but in the midst of a sinful world, we do. You remember the phrase Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? A whole lot easier said than done. Amen? Absolutely. Some of you are in here today and you were blown away this week by people who sinned against you that you knew should not have. Others of you had people sin against you who have been doing it for years. We need to learn this quality that Jesus asked us to learn because it's the way God treats us. I mean, God uses these situations. He doesn't cause these situations to happen. In fact, God hates it that people are sinning against you. He hates it that you sin against other people. But in your life specifically, he wants to use that to, again, get you to forgive so that you can become more like his son, Jesus. You say, well, why do I have to go through all that? Can't God just kind of take me out of that? I'll say it in this way. God didn't allow his own son to be pulled out of the midst of these kinds of situations. So why would he pull you out of this situation? He allowed Jesus to go through it. And he allows us to go through it as well. We're not immune to going through these things. Again, let's look at the life of Jesus. While Jesus was on the cross in Matthew 27, here's what it says. Says there were those who passed by and they derided him, wagging their heads. The chief priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked him. The robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So you had these people who are just hurling these insults at him. What in the midst of all that did Jesus do? Remember? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. How can we become more like Jesus? We are going to be in the midst of situations where we have to choose to forgive as well. And if you are going to grow spiritually and to become like Jesus, you have got to go through them as well. And please understand, you know, we are talking about these things in here. This is kind of like if you want to put it into a high school or a college type level course or graduate school this is class. This is, this is lecture hall. We're, we're talking about doing all this stuff. But when you leave, that's the lab. That's where you need to put it into practice. We can talk about all these concepts all we want, but it's until someone wrongs you that now you have a choice to make. Am I going to choose to forgive or am I going to choose to hold on to this? There's a young gal in our congregation who... Um, I've known for many, many years. I know she'd gone through a lot in her life. Let me just read you a little bit of her testimony. She said, I've gone through plenty of problems, pressures, difficulties, and stresses in my life, but I did not always allow or let God use those times to mold me into the person that he wanted me to be. She said, up until about three years ago, I held on to the fact that I was a victim. I had been a victim of emotional abuse, of physical abuse, and of sexual abuse in my life. The sexual abuse was the hardest to bear. It held, um, I held it in for years before I finally decided to tell my family what had happened to me. 
And when I told everybody the truth, it divided my family, and some of those members chose to hate me. In fact, some of them chose to hate me and said that they would do so and create obstacles for me for the rest of my life because of what I was saying. Through God's healing, though, I've been able to forgive the men who have abused me in my life, but I've had more difficult time forgiving those who have decided to continually hurt me. I've been so confused and so hurt. I saw myself clinging to the rights of a victim again. But then, as I began to grow in my relationship with God, I was able to understand that all my struggles, my issues, my hurts, my pains, my battle, they have all been fought, and now it was my right to let go. It hasn't been as simple as figuring figuring that out, and then my problems are solved and my struggles are over. I've come come to understand that forgiveness is definitely a discipline. It has been something that I have to remember and remind myself of every day, every time I see people that want to hurt me. Instinctively, I don't want to go up to them and give them a hug. I'd rather go up and kick them. By nature, I'm a selfish person, but through God, I've been able to cling to his leading and to his strength. My strength was depleted long ago. But God endures forever. He is my rock. She says in James 1, it talks about struggles and how we should handle them. That we should see them as a process. That we can develop, that they can develop us into people with mature character, people of integrity, with no weak spots. Being unforgiving was an incredible weak spot for me. And no matter how long I listened to Dr. Phil or Dr. Loa or a clinical psychologist... It didn't give me what I needed. I needed God's healing. I realized that God was always offering it to me, but I couldn't always understand it or accept it. When I began to accept his love, I was also able to show love to others and be where I am today in the process of forgiving. Now, I know that young gal, she wrote that note to me a a few years ago. And today, I know her to be more of a forgiving person than she was when she wrote that testimony. And two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, she'll, I believe, be even more forgiving and more like Jesus, even when other people come into her life and leave her life, come into her life, because she's someone who wants to be like Jesus and offer forgiveness. And so you say, how do you do that? How do you do that when people hurt you so badly? I can't give you all the answers on that one. God does that in us as we submit ourselves to him. And it's not our will, but it's his. But let me just give you a couple of practical suggestions that you can put into practice this week. Okay, again, they're at the bottom of your outline in that box. And the first one's this. Remember, God has forgiven me. God has had to do it with me. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God, in Christ, forgave you. So because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, God has been able to forgive us. And remember, God will never ask you to forgive anybody more than he has already forgiven you. You wrong God way more than anybody has wronged you. And God has extended his forgiveness to us. Jesus extended his forgiveness to us through what he did on the cross, expecting us to take that step as well. So remember, God has forgiven us. Secondly, 
It's to remember that God is in control. In the midst of what you are going through, God is in control. We could preach about this next lesson for years. The story of Joseph is so powerful. Let me just summarize it quickly. In Genesis 50, 20, after Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers, his brothers who were supposed to love him, sold him into slavery, kicked him, ignored him, stripped him bare, sold him into slavery. Then they come. They want to receive some stuff from him after he has grown and to be second in charge of all of Egypt. Joseph could have paid them back, but what does he do? He forgives them, and he looks into their face, and he says, you know what? You guys intended this for bad, but God used it for good, for the saving of many people. And when we come to that same place of saying, you know what? Somebody just wronged me. They intended it for bad, but God, I know you can use this for good. In fact, Genesis 50 is the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 talks about God uses all things. All things work together for good. Genesis 50 shows it in the Old Testament. Joseph saying, man, God used this. In the midst of this trespass, the sin that you guys did against me, God used this. And he's going to use whatever situation you are going through right now for his good as well. And, and you know, the truth of the matter, as I kind of summarize this up, I don't know what you are going through. Some of you are going through, through some horrific things. I don't know. I don't mean to make them trivial of what you are going through. But I do know how God wants you to respond. And the way that God wants you to respond is reflected in Philippians 2.5, where it says your attitude should be the same as that of who? Christ Jesus. In fact, would you read this verse with me? Would you read it? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This has been the class. Class is now over. It's time for lab. May God strengthen you. May he equip you as you go through those trials and troubles, as you go through those temptations, as you go through the wrongs, the trespasses of people doing things against you. And I pray that you will come through them being more like his son, Jesus, in your life. God allows you to do that, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. And he wants to make you more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, it is not easy going through some of the things we go through here on earth. It's not easy going through many of the things we go through. And so we claim that right now. But God, it is a whole lot easier going through life with you and knowing that there's a purpose and knowing that you have reasons for allowing us to go through hardships and troubles and storms in our lives. God, you are, you are working in the midst of those for those who are called according to your purpose. So let me do something here real quick. For Many of you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Many of you have looked at this discipleship word and said, okay, I, I've accepted Jesus, now I'm trying to grow in Jesus. But I know there are dozens of you here today who have not taken that step. Do you realize that some of the bad things that have happened in your life are not being used for God's good? Because you have not accepted him as Lord and Savior? Do you realize that he can't work those things out in your lives yet? Because you have not answered that call of becoming more like his son? Some of those may be wasted hurt, but they don't have to be. 
when you turn your life over to God, he starts to mold those. He shapes them. He uses past experiences. He uses present experiences to make you more like his son, Jesus. And so my question to some of you today is, why are you waiting? Could today be the day that you take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I choose today to follow you. Jesus, today is that day when I want to become more like your son, Jesus. That is a one-time decision you make. It happens instantaneously. It is a decision by faith of you believing and saying, God, I accept your son, Jesus, into my heart, into my life. I turn from my life where it was going, and I choose to follow you. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I follow you now. That's salvation. Sanctification, then, is this discipleship process. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. And so today, if you're ready to take that step, would you simply pray these words? Jesus, today, I accept you as Lord and Savior. Jesus, today, I turn from my lifestyle and I choose to follow you. Jesus, today, I accept you by faith. Now, since you have done that, I'm going to ask you to take another step. And that would be to either come down here after our service is over and let me celebrate with you and pray with you that you've taken that step to receive Jesus in your life. Or at our Next Step Center, we have some information that you could receive. We have a Bible there for you as well. Some steps that you can start to take to become more like Jesus. You might even want to talk to your friend who brought you here today. We would love, though, to celebrate with you because you've taken that step. Now that you have taken that step, God is using your life, using the hurts, using the pain, using the struggles, as he has of hundreds of people across this auditorium. And I know, I realize, hundreds of you have already accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Isn't it good to know that God is using the things that happen in our lives to make us more like him? He has a purpose for allowing us to go through them. We don't like it, but Paul says to rejoice and celebrate in the midst of it. And so, God, we choose to follow that command. We choose to rejoice and celebrate, even in the midst of some of the sufferings that we may go through. And so even now, as we sing these last worship songs, God, may they be from our hearts, not just words on the screen, but may they be words from our hearts that join with your spirit as you make us more like your son. We love you. We thank you. We worship you now. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.